So today's episode is very broadly about sports. Becca, weren't you training for something not too long ago? Yeah, a couple years ago, I trained for my first marathon. Okay, that's cool. So I've never run a marathon. I'm probably never going to run a marathon. But I'm kind of curious about how do you do it? How do you prepare? How do you train to run one? Well, it helps to run with someone. So I ran with a friend and we just kind of took it day by day. Okay. Lots of running. Naturally. Cross training. Mm -hmm. Drinking tons of water. Hydration. Carbo loading. We researched the course and we bought weird running accessories to sort of do all of this in. But all of this is to say that we really DIY'd the thing, and it was kind of a crapshoot on race day. We weren't sure if we were going to finish it, and there were definitely thousands of people running ahead of us that took it way more seriously than we did. What do you think they did in their training that you didn't do? Well, they probably didn't skip their runs on Saturday mornings like we did. (laughs) And I hear consistency is key. Getting up the same time every day, eating the same things, wearing the same clothes, yada, yada, yada. Okay, I hear you. And those are all great things, but what if everybody's doing them? Consistency is there across the leaderboard, but what next? Well, I don't know. I guess you just train harder. But those runners are already at the top of their game. Like, they can't go any harder. Yeah, I guess there's only so much running and carbo-loading and hydrating you can do that everyone else is matching you on, so maybe train smarter? But what does that really even mean? Yeah, you're getting there. When a sport is your profession, you kind of hit a performance ceiling with all the stuff that you can do on your own. And that's kind of like one of those conundrums that happens in all types of sports. You get so good at dribbling a basketball or passing a soccer ball or racing a car playing a video game, and then the edge gets thinner and thinner against competition when everyone's doing the same thing. So exploring new dimensions of training takes innovation and creativity, and one of those dimensions is data. I see where you're going with this. Mm-hmm. On this episode, we'll hear about how two very different sports are approaching data, how it's feeding in a strategy, how it's helping coaches and athletes gain new insights from competition, and ultimately, how it's helping athletes win. We'll speak to the chief information officer of a Formula One team and a data scientist pushing things forward at an esports organization. From Microsoft, this is In Culture. I'm Todd Whitney. And I'm Becca DiGregorio. You don't have to know a ton about Formula One to appreciate the role that technology plays in it. Racing cars is a marvel of engineering. But reaching the top of the standings in Formula One isn't just about building the best car. At least, not in the way you might think. Okay, so my name is Pierre D'Ambleval. I'm French, as you can hear it. Pierre is the chief information officer at Renault F1 team. He manages all the IT activities within the team, which is a whole operation beyond just the driver and pit crew. I dialed him up at his office in the UK recently to find out how his team is hoping to gain an edge on the competition. Pierre joined Renault when the carmaker reformed their Formula One team back in 2016. Their goal was simple, grow and improve for three years, spend the next three becoming a viable contender 
for the championship. We start from the from the back of the grid in 2016. We were nine in the championship, then six in 2017, then fourth in 2018. In 2019, they're in fifth, fighting to defend that position at an intensely competitive level. They're halfway to the top, and the climb from here just gets even harder. So the closer you get to the top, the smaller the margin is between the teams. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. And, and the more difficult it's to really catch up the last percentage of performance out of your machine. So where do they go from here? Well, it's hard to say because there's so little margin for edging over the competition. The simple answer is build the best car. But the best car for one race isn't the best car for another. Over the course of a season, you'll go from a race like the one in Monza, northeast of Milan, known for long, high-speed stretches, to the one in Monaco, where cars are basically racing through the streets. There's a best car for both but it's not the same car. If you race at the end of the season with the car that you designed for the beginning of the season, you will probably be stuck in the, at the back of the grid because those cars are just prototypes that constantly evolve uh, through the season. And all the data that we, we, we discussed gathering along those, uh, those events are actually essential to design a more performant part for the next race. That evolution of the car from race to race, it's happening fast too, and without the opportunity to do much physical testing at each track. In Formula One, one of the main regulations is that we are extremely limited in terms of physical testing. So if we want to make sure that a solution or something that our engineers have designed or manufactured will actually deliver the expected output on the track. This is why what Pierre is working on is so critical to Renault's success. Once you reach a certain bar of excellence in racing, data becomes an essential tool to improve your car, your strategy, and eventually, hopefully, your race time. So Renault collects a lot of data during races, everything from tire degradation to aerodynamic resistance. 220 sensors on a Renault car can collect over 50 billion data points in just one race weekend. And then what happens? To analyze the behavior of the car. So we have these two data feeds that goes once locally uh, trackside and the other ones back to the factories. So all of that information becomes available for those engineers. When the car is back into the garage, there is a possibility to gather even more information because we can plug a cable on the car and, and gather those data at a much higher frequency, such as during the, during the session by the telemetry system that will refine the analysis of the engineers to prepare for a nicer setup or based also on the, on the feedback that is given by the driver to the engineers. If he feels comfortable with the car or if he feels too much oversteer or understeer driving the car. And from that data, a sort of redesign takes place. Maybe a change in the steering wheel position or a different tire type from the options Formula One allows. Now, I imagine Pierre's team isn't the only one doing all this. Right.
I would rather say that we use fast data compared with big data. To be honest, in our, in our case, the volume of data that we generate seems big uh, racing on a, on a track. We are generating approximately uh, 50 billion data points during a weekend, but from a data volume is not that massive. What is it's super important in our sport, it's to get those data as fast as possible. So what can make the difference in our sport is how fast you can get the data to start the analysis in order to take better decision, more accurate decision, depending on the speed you get the data. Cloud computing is critical. Renault has been adopting services across Microsoft's Azure Cloud to help with this. Prior to Azure, what was the team utilizing for data analysis? What did the method look like? Excel spreadsheet. (laughs) If you didn't catch that, Pierre said Excel spreadsheet. He's only partially kidding. Moving from on-premises servers to the cloud for some of their most computationally taxing work, Renault can be sure the latest systems and technology are powering the millions of simulations they're running. And they can scale up or scale down as their needs change too. For tire degradation, for instance, or for anomaly detection in our sensors, we use the machine learning algorithm in Azure to help us to reduce the time that our engineers spent to detect what are the sensors in defect by just analyzing not only the measure that the sensor is is giving, but also what is the behavior of the sensors next to this one. So we teach we teach the model how to decide if that sensor is delivering good measure, and so that's a that's a great experiment that we had with uh, with Azure Machine Learning that helped us to to be better in uh, anomaly detection. So what's on the horizon for Pierre and Renault? It's continuing to refine their approach, not just to data collection, but how they interpret it. They're continuing to push on better data visualization tools and simulations, and more sophisticated AI that can put the 50 billion data points they're generating each race weekend into context. It's probably the most technology-driven sport in the world. So for, uh, we are at a moment in that sport that you cannot start the car without having the proper IT solution systems and, and infrastructure in place to start the car. And when every team has an IT solution, it's these creative and innovative uses of data that will help Renault edge out the competition and continue their steady rise through the ranks of Formula One. So, Todd, what do you think of all that? So this idea that with the 50 billion data points Renault is working with, it's more about fast data rather than big data? I love it. I can see how it's less about volume than what you do with it, how you interpret it, how you apply those interpretations, and how quickly you do all that. Did you find out something similar in the conversation you had? I did. So let's talk about esports. People have been competing against each other in video games for decades. But in recent years, competitive gaming has evolved into a full-blown sport. One with its own industry, its own competitive structure, its own star athletes, and even its own tournament broadcasts. And fans. Lots and lots of fans. And those numbers are only increasing. 
From 2016 to 2019, esports went from having 281 million fans to 436 million fans. Top esports athletes signed to organizations that put up teams to compete across various games, from sports titles to shooters to multiplayer online battle arena games. That's MOBA for short. For this episode, I checked in on one of those orgs, Cloud9. They're based in Los Angeles, but compete all over the world. And while I was reporting this episode, a lot of the organization was in Germany at a world championship. But I managed to catch up with someone who's going to be key to Cloud9's success moving forward. Hi, everyone. I'm Haley Mason. I'm the lead data scientist at Cloud9. What kind of role does data analytics play in competition over Cloud9? With all of these different games and professional players competing to try and win various tournaments, my role is interfacing with the team on the performance side and helping them to, to do their jobs better through utilization of data. As it turns out, a love for gaming is a big part of why Haley is here. I've done a lot of different MMORPGs over the years. So those are massive multi-online role-playing games such as World of Warcraft or Revelation Online. But throughout all of those different games that I've played, I always have played League of Legends for nine or ten years now, since early on when the game was released, right around the time that beta was launched. I can't stress enough, League of Legends is a big deal. In competitive esports and in the wider world of gaming on every level, every day, over 8 million players log in and compete. And in the context of Cloud9 and the work that Haley is doing, League of Legends is a testing ground for what the future of competition might look like and the role that data could play in the esports landscape moving forward. We're using data science and technology to help drive forward the training and performance for our teams. And we've started this initially through working with our League of Legends team. And this is our initial implementation where we're working to develop early tools and technology that'll help us train more efficiently. And a big component of this is just leveraging data that had previously been inaccessible to the team or just not commonly referenced. So when you think about traditional sports, there's a lot of data available for that. But when it translates to esports, since these games are electronic, there's even more data available. And that's that's really great. And it's also a challenge because you have to identify with all this available data, what's really important and how do you identify the really important insights and start at the beginning with what inputs are available. Haley and other data researchers at Cloud9 collect their team's training and computations and then use artificial intelligence algorithms to make the best informed decisions on teams and tactics. So how does she do it? We know we have upcoming matches against various opponents and we can really utilize the data to learn about our opponents and their tendencies or ways they operate as a team. Another large component of the types of data analysis that we might do is analyzing the matches after the game. And we're using different technology to highlight the areas for improvement. So it's not just watching the games from a manual sense, but it's automating insight extraction because we only have so many hours in a day to review matches and the team often plays up to six games a day during their scrimmage periods where they're training and practicing against other teams. Utilizing that information from the post game and being able to relay that information to the team so that they can take what they've learned quickly and go back into the next match has been really helpful. 
What are some of the things that would have been hard to recognize or see without the current technological tools that you have to optimize training right now? A big one that jumps out to me is trends and patterns in the jungle. So within the game of League of Legends, there's different roles and responsibilities that each player has. And one of those is through clearing out jungle camps and aiding in the lanes to gain an advantage during the game, a numbers advantage typically. And we've been able to use technology and data from analyzing the the paths that junglers take in a more automated way to help us extrapolate those trends that we can then take forward into future games. The ultimate goal is to create a tool that can really work with Cloud9's approach. As with Pierre and Renault, Haley and Cloud9 are working with Azure. That's Microsoft's cloud platform. And they're trying to build a constellation of services that'll help them get what they need out of all the reams of data that they're collecting. But that's just what's happening on the back end. And then another large way that I uh, interact with the team is through working with the coaches. So the coach might say, this is a new patch. The developers of the game have made a significant change to this champion. And I think we need to utilize this champion in our practice this week and make sure we're comfortable playing this champion and we know how it synergizes with our team. Haley and Cloud9 are very much at the beginning of their work. Her role is only going to develop and become more important over time. She told us she's aware of a massive uptick in this kind of work for data scientists. And in time, they'll be working with considerably more sophisticated tools. So I think part of this one comes through utilizing cutting-edge technology. So everybody has this information available, but it's how you use it where you can gain that competitive edge. And one of these is through using different machine learning models or even deep neural networks for computer vision to provide that next level of insights for training, where it's it's not easy to do, and it takes a lot of, of skill and guidance to perform effectively. The end goal is to bring this all together into a tool that the team can use on a daily basis to help help them train more effectively. I feel like with what Haley's working on for Cloud9 or how Renault's Formula One team is working with data, we're just at the beginning of all this. We're already seeing gains, but it feels like the potential is massive for players, coaches, teams, and ultimately for fans. We'll be watching this space. To learn more about all the people and stories featured in this episode, visit Microsoft.com slash InCulture. There, you can meet more people from the teams of Renault Formula One and Cloud9 and learn more about the role technology is coming to play in sports all over the world. And if you want to see more from the series, follow us on Instagram at Microsoft InCulture. InCulture is hosted by Becca DiGregorio and me, Todd Whitney. It's produced by Jordan Rothline and edited and mixed by Nat Wiener. Original music by Angular Wave Research. In Culture is a production of Microsoft in collaboration with Listen, a sensory experience company in New York City.